Thanks for joining Impact Boom on this episode. But I think a question that has always been on my mind really is what's the route to, or what's the best route to social impact? So is it about being in government or is it about charity or is it about activism? Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 268 of Impact Boom. My name's Indio Miles and I'm passionate about communicating the initiatives and enterprises causing sustainable and positive change globally. Today, we're speaking with Jack Graham. Jack is the founder of Year Here, a postgraduate course in social innovation and startup incubator based in London. Year Here is the birthplace of some of the UK's most promising social ventures, like Birdsong, Chatterbox, and Fat Macy's. Alongside Year Here, Jack is a social innovation consultant for Public Practice, FutureGov, and AB Partners, among others. He is a Claw Social Leadership Fellow, and in 2014, he was named one of Britain's 50 New Radicals by The Observer newspaper. Jack, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Great to be here. Awesome. So to start off our interview, could you please share a bit about your background and what led to your work in social enterprise? Of course. So I actually started my career in international development. So I was working for various NGOs, both in London and overseas. Eventually, I ended up on a secondment to a small HIV and AIDS NGO in Zambia. And eventually I kind of fell out of love with international development, had a lot of questions about its efficacy and also my place in that world, in that industry. So in 2008, I returned to the UK with my tail between my legs, not kind of sure what I would do next, knowing that I would definitely continue to pursue social impact in some shape or form, but feeling a bit disillusioned about international development. So I ended up at a place called the Young Foundation, which at the time was led by a guy called Jeff Mulgan, who had been Tony Blair's director of strategy. The Young Foundation was named after a guy called Michael Young, who, among many other things, co-wrote the 1945 Labour Party manifesto, which gave us the welfare state and the NHS in the UK. And that place was a bit of a think tank, but also did some more practical stuff as well. So the bit of the organisation that I was in was focused on social enterprise. And that was really my first exposure to social enterprise. But again, I guess some issues or questions that came up during that period were that, you know, we were thinking about social issues that were affecting people and those people weren't in the room. You know, it was a lot of very highly educated. I think I was one of the first people who hadn't got a degree from Oxford or Cambridge. Very highly educated people coming up with ideas for policies and programs that would affect, you know, vulnerable, marginalised people who Hmm. who weren't there, who weren't part of the, the conversation. And that didn't sit comfortably with me. And I think it also really cemented some thoughts I had around the charity model and its flaws. And so I really became a kind of social enterprise advocate after that experience, 
hence me setting up year here in 2012. No, that's a really good background there. And a lot of really big considerations that you had to make there quite early on. And it's great to see how long you've been involved in the social impact space as well. And as you just touched on at the end there, you are now the CEO and founder of Year Here, an innovation incubator focused on teaching social impact through providing hands-on experiences. So in your own words, how does Year Here guide ventures through that startup process and then overcoming challenges common to social enterprises? Yeah, of course. I guess the founding philosophy when it comes to Year Here's approach to venture creation is that innovations should start with insights. So really understanding, listening and learning from the people who are most affected by whatever social issue you're working on, whether that's homelessness, educational inequality, community resilience, whatever the issue is. You start by understanding, by getting alongside the people who are most affected by that issue. So hence, the Year Here program starts with a frontline placement. So our fellows are in pupil referral units for kids who've been expelled from mainstream education. They might be in community centres, they might be in health centres, mm. and they are, you know, day in, day out working alongside, as I say, the people who are most affected by, by that issue. And that means that they hopefully get a chance to empathise with the lived experience of that reality, but they also get some insight into the system that yields the often negative outcomes that they're trying to tackle. And also, I think really importantly, they get the kind of fire in their belly to do something about it, because when you've actually developed relationships with people, whether that's a, you know, a, a kid from a chaotic family background in school or an isolated older person, when you've developed a relationship with that person and really understood and empathised with their experience, then I think you're much more motivated to do something about it. And what you do will not be based on assumption about how people live. It will be based on egalitarian relationships with people and a deep understanding of their reality. So that's the first piece of the puzzle is that frontline insight. And it's the most important, I think. We then take them on to a consulting phase. They're working on briefs that are set by larger clients, often government or housing associations or larger charities. And that's an amazing opportunity for them to get some of the kind of systemic insight and understanding that they need to work out which bit of the system they want to they want to attack in some way with their social enterprise and also get an understanding of the market they might be operating in. So often in the consulting phase of the program, they may well be working with organizations that will go on to become their clients when they set up their own social ventures. And then the third and final phase of the program is our venture lab, which is where we are explicitly challenging them to come up with their own social venture idea and really importantly to prototype it. So it's within a few weeks, they should be out of the building and trying their products and services with real users and getting feedback and iterating them. And so by the end of that phase, they have a really, you know, a validated concept and a really strong pitch. And about half of them will choose to, to carry on with that after the program has finished. That's a really great summary there, Jack. Thank you so much for that. And for all of our listeners, they'll be able to have a look at you here as it will be linked in at the end of the article and have a look at those fantastic programs and the venture lab that you're running. So Jack, what has driven your passion to become a mentor in social innovation and a successful founder yourself? So I think, I mean, I grew up in a fairly socially conscious household. My parents were involved in the anti-apartheid movement and mm. my mum was a social worker and so I think that was kind of in the family and I have three brothers and a lot of us are focused on on social impact in some shape or form but I think a question that has 
always been on my mind really is what's the route to or the, what's the best route to social impact so is it about being in government or is it about charity or is it about activism and I think in you know in my life, lifetime I'm a millennial just about I'm an old millennial and <laughs> uh, in you know in, in our generation we've seen some of the traditional methods of social change like politics and protest and philanthropy yeah. really fail us I think so mm. when I think about protest you know, I was in, in the UK, we had the anti-tuition fees marches, we had the anti-Iraq war marches, you know, they yeah. all failed, despite getting huge numbers of people, millions of people out on the streets. Politics has been a, a mess for well over a decade now. And I think when it comes to kind of philanthropy and charity, people are starting to start to become a bit more of a mainstream opinion that there are a lot of problematic dynamics at play in charity in terms of power dynamics. It's quite a Victorian model. And so I think social enterprise and social innovation more broadly feels like a bit of a beacon of a, a new way of doing things. And I have been really interested in this idea of social business as a window of opportunity for people to, you know, act with autonomy, to test new ideas really quickly. I think it's also a space where innovation is really rewarded. So if you've come up with a great idea that leads to better results, then you can grow really quickly. With that, hopefully you have the potential to kind of to outsmart and, and redesign traditional power dynamics and, and systems that propagate inequality and injustice. I guess that's the kind of my journey to social enterprise, really. I really love being able to hear about that passion and how it started so early on. It's really fantastic, Jack. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you talked a lot there about the, the past and kind of the history of, or I guess the early days of where social impact was seen to be, well, how we tried to generate social impact as a society. So now if we're looking instead into the future, where do you see, Jack, some opportunities for the social impact sector to evolve specifically in the UK or even globally over the next decade? Good question. I think in the last, looking back before I look forward, looking mm. back at the last 18 months, I would say yeah. there have been a few campaigns that have really, I, I think, caught quite a lot of the traditional charities and social impact organisations by surprise. So certainly Black Lives Matter. Also in the UK, we've had a campaign by a footballer called Marcus Rashford that was against okay. poverty. And I think the speed at which those campaigns have caught the public's imagination have almost put to shame the kind of more traditional charities and social impact organisations who should have been fighting those fights themselves. And I think that speaks to a wider problem about like, are we shooting for social justice or just social impact? So, you know, you can feed X number of kids or create Y number of jobs, but are you really shifting the systems of inequality that give rise to those issues in the first place? And I think and hope that we're going to move into a world where charities and social enterprises are a bit more comfortable with taking on a bit more of an activist approach and mindset to their work. And I think that's where social enterprise can go wrong, is that it can be propping up systems rather than challenging systems, which we, we can all see are unjust and lead to all sorts of negative outcomes and environmental damage and, and, and inequality, etc. So I think hopefully the next phase of kind of social impacts and social innovation is going to be about thinking really critically about your role in the system and how you are going about challenging it. And I totally think you can do that through social business, yeah. but 
doesn't necessarily follow that because you're running a social enterprise, you are addressing those systems of inequality. You have mm. to really think it through. I don't always see that. So I would like to see many more social entrepreneurs think in that way. That's fantastic, Jack. Those are some great observations you just made there. And actually, I've just realized I've actually moved past the question by accident, but I think it's really good to kind of come back to it because now that you've talked about some of those, I guess, those things that have been seen throughout the globe and all of those big events that have happened in the last 18 months, in this space right now, what advice would you give to someone wanting to start up their own business or create their own social innovation? This question, basically, my short answer is always, do you hear? Uh, <laughs> basically, just explaining you here. So, uh, but I'll give a long answer. So I think there are some things that, you know, obviously we have designed you here to be the best platform for exactly that. So, you know, ine- inevitably my answer is going to reflect the design of the program. But yeah, I would say it really starts with, we have this idea of loving your problem. So really getting to know the issue that you're focused on from every different angle. So, you know, if you're looking at homelessness, then it is understanding the lived experience, but it's also about what is the kind of the architecture of the problem? How does it come to be? Thinking about family breakdown and drug and alcohol misuse and how it connects to the housing crisis and Mm. all these different factors. So really, really obsessing over your problem until you understand it inside out has got to be the starting place in, in my view. Another aspect I think that's super important and often gets ignored or forgotten is to understand the market. So if you want to run a social enterprise, in fact, if you want to run anything, you're going to need some money. So where is that money going to come from? That's, you know, that's what we call a market. So understanding the different markets that you might be selling into is super important as well. So it's, it's, I often see social enterprises, the intersection of where you're meeting a social need and you're exploiting a market opportunity. So you have to kind of give equal weight to both of those two things for, for you to find the right formula. And then it's about testing and learning. So, and that should all happen with users, you know, with the people that this is designed to support or help in some way. So getting out there early, prototyping, trying stuff, getting feedback, trying again, and being quite bold in the iteration between first, your second, your third prototype. And then I think when it comes to the kind of launch moment, which, you know, for us is towards the end of the program for the fellows, I think it takes an awful lot of courage because ultimately you're foisting something on the world that the world hasn't necessarily asked for. So Mm. as an entrepreneur, you often find yourself in sales mode in a very traditional sense when you're trying to sell your services, but also when you're at an event or you're even meeting up with old family friends or whatever, then you are often explaining what you do and justifying what you do. So that can be quite tiring and you need to really believe in your idea and and be quite courageous to step out of the norm you know if you just have a job that people understand you're a a lawyer or you're a nurse or whatever then people are like cool that's great but if you're an entrepreneur then they've got lots of questions and that can be quite challenging so you have to be quite courageous and I think linked to that it's really useful to have a community of peers and that's I think one of the almost the hidden benefits of you here that people don't quite realize until they've done you here that it, to, to have this network of people who are in the same boat as you is so incredibly valuable. It's something that I did not have when I started year here, but obviously every cohort of fellows that graduate, we've got you know five or six ventures that, that are starting up and each of those entrepreneurs has each other to bounce ideas off, shoulders to cry on, mm-hmm. also really practical questions like, you know who's got a safeguarding policy that I can draw from, that kind of thing. 
is super, super useful. So I think having some courage and doing it with your friends is the last piece of the puzzle. That's a really great set of advice there, Jack. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate hearing more about you here as well. And it's really good that you've been able to tie it back to there. Because what I do want to touch on coming towards the end of the interview now is that in your job and your profession working with incubators and so heavily in the social impact sector, you must see some very inspiring projects or initiatives. So what are some that you have come across recently, which you believe are creating a positive social change? Yeah, of course. So obviously I'm going to pick a couple from the year here portfolio. That's so, fine. <laughs> one that I think is maybe not an obvious choice is one called Supply Change, which I, is a bit more of a kind of behind the scenes, unglamorous social enterprise, but actually I think it's doing some really important work. So Supply Change is essentially trying to look at public procurement. So the public sector and, and in fact the, the charity sector more broadly purchases a whole bunch of services every year and that's everything from cleaning services for hospitals through to construction services for a housing association that's building a new housing estate there's a huge range and I think it goes into the billions the amount that the public sector spends on these services and there is actually a piece of legislation in the UK that means that those services must in themselves have a social or environmental impact, but actually making that a reality is much harder. So what supply chains do, they're essentially a digital marketplace that matches up public sector um, procurement teams with social enterprises that can meet that need. So that instead of procuring your gardening services, let's say, from a regular commercial enterprise, you actually can procure that from a social enterprise that let's say also employs disabled people who struggle to find work in, in the labor market. Yeah. So that's a really great way of ensuring that we can eke out even more social impacts out of every, you know, every taxpayer penny that's spent. And I think what is smart about that is it's about the, you know, matching up these procurement teams have very specific needs that they have to have met. And often social enterprises are smaller organizations that might not know what those what that checklist is. So supply chain is really helping to bridge that gap with obviously, you know, the long term goal being that all of our public procurement has a deep social impact. And in so doing, they're going to really support the social enterprise sector to grow. So there's them. There's others that are, I guess, more direct to beneficiaries. So a great example of that is Apt, which is a health tech startup that came out of the Year Here program a few years ago and set up by a guy called Hector, who his frontline placement was in a GP surgery. And he was trying to encourage local patients to come in for diabetes management um, appointments and various other appointments with their doctor. And the traditional system for doing that is really poor. So it's three phone calls. And then if there's no response, then they kind of strike them off the list. And we're talking here about he was in a, in, in Bow in a very diverse area where lots of patients had English as a second language. So it was a very, very ineffective system. So he, first of all, just very simply switched it to text message, which in itself improved the, the uptake. And then started using behavioral science. So working out like what are the right messages and that, you know, even changing the language, what's the right way to encourage people to come to their appointments. And now that's entirely AI powered. So using artificial intelligence to work out the most optimal set of messaging to encourage patients to come to their appointments. And that really moves the NHS from being a reactive service to being much more preventative. So how can we support patients to manage their own health in smart ways? So yeah, I think there are tons of opportunities in terms of how we can apply tech to 
social issues. So rather than, you know, another platform to help us buy takeaway food or get our yeah. laundry done or solve some other middle class inconvenience, how about we apply some of that technology to problems that really matter that probably have less of a spotlight on them, but are super important in terms of tackling inequality in this country. Those are very interesting enterprises that you've just mentioned there, Jack. And those will be linked at the end of the article. So once any of our listeners have listened to the podcast or they've just read through, they'll be able to click on through to those and check those out. So thank you so much for recommending them. And to finish off now, we'll also add to that list some other links that our audience can click on through to. Mm -hmm. What books or resources would you recommend to our listeners? Oh, so a book that I read... It's actually a year before last, but it's really stuck with me, is Winners Take All by Anand Giridharadas, which is a really great takedown of the social impact sector and its hypocrisy, yeah. which might sound strange for somebody who's obviously a social impact champion like me <laughs> be promoting that book. But I think it's a really good wake up call for people to be really critical about, again, what part of the system are, are they playing? So it talks a lot about kind of billionaire philanthropy yeah. and how that's often, you know, roots to tax avoidance and all sorts of other things. So really, really great book. There's also lots of talks by him online. So if you don't have time to read the book, you can just watch a little video online. And then a completely different one, that we use a lot in year here is business model generation really great practical book for understanding business models and although it's focused on commercial business models i think it's really applicable to social business as well so that's a great one and then two more autobiographical ones i like one is dreams from my father barack obama so this was his first autobiography and actually having read a few of them i think it's his best And it's just great when you think about somebody's journey towards answering that question of like, how best can I have impact? So, you know, he was a community organizer and then obviously eventually became president. So I think just following that journey is super interesting. And then my final one is very different. It's called Body Counts. It's by a guy called Sean Strubb who was an AIDS activist in the 80s, is, he's still alive today. And he talks about, well, obviously, you know, the AIDS crisis in in the 80s and how they responded as activists through a group called ACT UP and Mm. just something amazingly creative activism and also just incredible to understand this era, which I think a lot of people are now kind of forgetting or losing touch with when vast number of gay men lost their lives and only a very small number survived. Sean yeah. Strub is one of those. So I, I like reading the stories of people who have gone on that journey of working out, like, how best can I tackle these big issues that I care about? So those would be my two autobiographical recommendations. Well, that is a great way to finish up our interview. Those resources, as I said before, will all be linked at the end of the article so all of our listeners can check them out. Thank you so much for putting those recommendations together for us. So I guess that we're at the end now, Jack. Thank you so much for making the time to come in and share your generous insights. There were some amazing observations that you had about the social impact sector, amongst other things, and also talking about Year Here, which is such a wonderful incubator program. On behalf of Impact Boom, I would just love to personally say all the best to you in the future, and we cannot wait to see how you succeed in the coming years. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. 
Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter. Thank you.